you would, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. This will be our text for this evening. And just to piggyback on what Jerry has said, I, I've enjoyed getting to know this congregation and look forward to uh, the relationships that will continue to be built, I trust, as we share a common King and Lord who we serve. So I look forward to you guys getting to know Kate more, and I'm just very delighted by this opportunity. But to give you some context of, of this text that we're reading, this is during the, the Holy Week, where there's a lot of festivities. The religious leaders are out, and they're trying to ensnare and trap Christ, both in what He is saying and the things that He is doing. They're conspiring against Him, because the Jews have simply just they've had enough. They've had enough of His meddling, enough of His backwards theology in their minds, And this is the third of three parables. The first one, where Jesus accuses the religious leaders of being hypocrites, that they're not repenting, they're not believing. The second parable being that Jesus Jesus said that God will take the kingdom away from them. And then we come to this parable. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. It went off, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast, as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was Speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Lord, we come to you this time to hear from you. May you be delighted to speak to us and give us a heart that is saying, here, Lord, I am ready to hear. Speak to me. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So April 11th, 2023, in the year of our Lord, 
out in the city of Great Apple of New York City. Much anticipation, much build-up. A couple had been dating for a significant period of time, way longer than what they should have. One particular individual pushing off the inevitable that he knew what God was calling him to do. Out on the ocean, night, the seagulls in the air, the question was to be asked, will you marry me? And after much pleading, much groveling, I finally said yes. No, she said yes to me. But on the way back from New York City on the six-hour car ride, after the height of the big, one of the biggest accomplishments of my life, she's sitting there in the car ride next to me, admiring the ring that I gave her as it reflects in the beautiful sunset that God gave us the joy of beholding. I'm just listening to my audiobook, thinking, all right, I could space out, accomplish what I need to accomplish. I'm listening to an audiobook about dragons, and about five minutes in, she turns it off. And she says, what about the, what about the wedding invitations? What kind of flowers are we gonna, are we gonna get? How, what, what should we do for the budget? What about the cake? What kind of cake should we have? Should we have a little thing on top of it? What should that thing be on top of it? I'm like, Kate, let me just, I did what I needed to do. Can you just, please, turn the audiobook back on. Five minutes later, the same thing occurred. And then I just found out today, after I asked her if I could use this as an illustration, she said the day after I asked her, she, got, she also set a date for when, her alter, when she was going to go look at dresses. She had been waiting, preparing for this moment that I was so, there was so much build up to it. And when it finally came, all of the things that she was suppressing that I didn't know were there, this crazy part of her just burst into life. And it's been a roller coaster ever since then. Regardless of what kind of wedding you go to, there are preparations that are involved. And weddings are going to look different. They're going to be in different places, and it's going to look different based on the culture that you live in. But regardless, this text, in any wedding that you attend, you have to prepare yourself for the wedding. And that is the call of this text, to prepare yourself for the wedding. And the very first thing that this text calls us to prepare our hearts for is is found here in verses 1 and 2. It's to understand the host. So you get the card in the mail, and what's the first thing that you look at? Who's, Who's inviting me? Who's the host of this wedding? And here in this parable, we find out who the host is. Verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. This wedding invitation, this wedding, the, the host is God himself. 
The father in this, the, the king in this parable is the father. God the father, the, the son in this parable is Christ. Those who are invited are the Jews. And the servants are the heralds of the king and the kingdom. This is the, the wedding feast that is being talked about. It's, a, it's the father's preparing a wedding feast for his glorious son, who he deeply loves. And all feasts, all weddings especially, are meant to be a, a joyous occasion. Despite all of the difficulties that go into planning for that, they are meant to, to be a joyous occasion. And here in this, this parable, this wedding that the king is throwing for his son, there's going to be no expense spared. He's going to, this is the avenue through which he is going to display his bounteous goodness for all of the kingdom to behold. And weddings in Palestine were not like they are today. We have a one, maybe two-day maximum event. But here in Palestine, the Jews, in the context that this particular parable was being spoken into, it was a multi-day feast with many meals, many get-togethers. It could have been seven or more days. So thankful. I'm not happy to do that. And that would have been for anybody. But this is the king that's throwing the feast. So whatever it would have been like in the minds there, they would have realized that this wedding that they were being invited to was the, the host was going to throw the most extravagant party that they could possibly imagine with the greatest food, the most beautiful clothing. It, was not, it, was the, the, it would be the wedding of the century, something that is a once-in-a-lifetime occasion. And it signifies being invited to a wedding, just like any wedding that we get invited to here. It signifies friendship, and it signifies fellowship. You were counted important enough to receive the invitation. The host cared enough about you to send you that card in the mail. And God invites you into this fellowship and friendship with him. The glorious God of all extends to you a hand, and he says, come. And weddings throughout the entire scriptures are a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. And even in Ephesians 5, we see this union with Christ, uh, the the church and, and, and her husband. God is inviting you to sit at, the ta- at his very own table, at his house, in his glorious city, where people will stand before this groom, and they will say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We can see in Revelation 21-23, there, this, it's not just that the, the, this picture of the, the beautiful Lamb, but there's also the beautiful city, the reception hall that the people get to be in. Revelation 21-23 says, The city, no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And what is the light? It is the, it's the Lamb. It's the sun in this parable. What a beautiful reality. The, 
the mind cannot begin to comprehend what, what kind of a wedding this is. And we see that in Psalm 24, or 27, verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I would seek after him and dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing upon his beauty. The groom is inviting you to gaze upon his beauty. In Psalm 16, in you there is fullness of joy. This groom, in him there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. This is the the God of the, the covenants, the creator God in this venue is pictured in Revelation 21 with walls built of jasper, this city with pure gold, like clear glass. The, the foundations of the wall were adorned in jewels of all kinds. And the food. Oh man, we talked about food this morning. Imagine the food that will be in heaven. Whatever you think is the greatest thing you've ever tasted with your taste buds, it's going to be better in heaven at this feast with this groom and the bride that will be adorned in the most precious apparel. And you will be eating with this host. This is the host. This is the the individual who invites you. This wedding filled with happy People, joyous individuals with celebrations galore, with music and dancing and songs that are played and and sung by the most beautiful of voices and the most beautiful of instruments, with the most succulent delicacies, with the groom who we've been learning about in Ortland's book, yearns with his heart for his people. If you've never read through Revelation 21, as a point of application, I would really encourage you to do that. Read Revelation 21 and meditate on the city and the, and the groom that is displayed there and the p- beautiful poetry. It's not going to be exactly like that, but it's going to be far greater than what is pictured there in Revelation 21. Use it, read it to fill your heart with yearning for this wedding. I also know that some of you are going through really hard times. And it's Revelation where we find that the, 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 the verse that says, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. So this groom, you can look forward to this wedding where the groom will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his bride. So prepare yourself for the wedding. Do so by understanding the host. And do so by accepting the invite. So here in verse 3, we we see, beginning verse 3, the invites are are going out. And he said to his servants, call those who are invited to the wedding feast. The invite is sent out wide to to all who are are there. Uh, but, But specifically, it said, invite those who were invited. 
Look at it again, verse 3. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. He hasn't sent the invitation out, but there's people that were already invited. Who are these people? These people are the, the Jews. The, it's Israel. It's ethnic Israel. So Jesus is using messianic imagery here that would have stuck in the minds of his hearers, calling us back to Genesis 12, where God calls this nation through Abram, I will bless and multiply those who curse, I will curse you. Israel was his special bride. Hosea 11, Israel was a child. I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son and I taught, taught him how to walk. Amos 3, Israel, only have I loved. In Ezekiel 16, if you've never read that passage, is also astounding. There's a picture of a baby born, uh, torn from the womb, bloody, ground, left destitute. God comes and sees this baby still bathed in blood, picks it up, washes it, and makes it his own. God's, this is to be God's channel of love and his conduit to reach the nations. These are God's invited and these are God's called ones who his heart is after. And what do they do? They would not come. In fact, it says they refused to come. And this verse in the Greek can actually be translated, they wanted not to come. In other words, their very wills were set against it. They wanted no part of whatever this host was offering to them. They had wanted no part of the festivities. So he goes out again in verse 4. He says, go and tell them to show them what we've got. He says, I've got the... In verse 4, he sent his servants to and told those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. All this, he's, the wedding is still uh, going in the direction it's supposed to go. And he says, Look, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Just, just come. So he's like, Everything here is ready for you. The only person missing is you. But verse 5, they paid no attention. And it can also be translated, they had no concern for and were completely neglectful. They don't care. And they, they came up with all these kinds of excuses. I have, a, I have a farm. I have a business. Or simply, I've got better things to do. This was a, such a forfeiture of grandeur and glory. They were missing it. This host had invited them and they're totally missing it. It was the highest of honors, the greatest privilege, and the, the refusal to come was a direct insult to the host who was inviting them. So here is the already called ones, the kingdom offered to him, Israel. Here is my son, here is my kingdom. Here is what you've been waiting for. Come. God would send the servants, all the prophets, 
God would send people like John the Baptist, and what would they do to these people? Indifference and hostility in verse 6. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. That is such a common pattern of what Israel would do, these called ones, to the prophets and the messengers of God. And what did this ultimately incur? The wrath of the king. You killed my servants? Well, I'm going to come after you. The, verse 7, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This is parable is taking quite a dark turn, hasn't it? Beautiful invite. Now there's a burning city. Jealous the king was for the, the glory of his son. They had dishonored him. They had disrespected his son. He had prepared this bounteous feast, and they simply snubbed him. In failing to accept the invitation that God gives to come, incurs the wrath of the king. The, there, was a, there was not just one invitation that was sent out, but it was two, showing the patience of the king. But this, in verse 7, also demonstrates that at, one, at some point, that patience of the king will end. One day the invites will stop. One day the invitation will no longer be given to you. And this refusal to come that we find in verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Rejection of the invite makes you unworthy. So then he says, he said, go to the streets. There's this open invitation. He says, bring in those who are good and those who are bad. In the mind of the religious leaders, that would have been the people who are faithful and then the people who are the, the sinners. The king says, bring them all in that they may behold the, the bounteous feast, this banquet, this wedding that I'm offering to them, that they may see the splendor of this son of mine. In the broader context of Scripture, the, the call is now no longer just to the Jews, but it's to the, the Gentiles, which has been God's heart from the very beginning. And Jesus even called the religious leaders out in Matthew 21. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. What? What sadness. They've been waiting for the Messiah this whole time. He's there in front of them. And they're not getting it. Maybe you're not getting it either. Sometimes it's 
right in front of us, just right there in our grasp, and yet we don't take it. So the hall is filled in verse 10. It says, many are gathered here. And those servants went out into the roads, gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. God will bring the guests. The question is, will you be part of those guests? They, the ones that were filled in the hall, they, they saw the invitation. They saw the opportunity, and they jumped on it, hoping to enjoy it. They saw the delight that it was. Maybe you forget this. And if you do, you need to remember that the invitation to the kingdom of God is a privilege and an honor. Revelation 19.9 said, Blessed are those invited to the supper of the Lamb. What a privilege to be invited to this wedding feast with this groom. You, like the servants, are told to share this invitation with everyone, both good and bad. God does not take second place. The Jews said they were simply too busy. I'm going to attend to my farm. I'm going to attend to my business. I've got better stuff. If that is your mindset... The kingdom is not for you. But you can come. And the invite is still there. Too busy? No. You need to make him first place. You, like the servants, are not to stop inviting your friends, your family, your co-workers when they keep rejecting. The servants went out twice showing that there's multiple times that we are to go out and to ask. And even some of you sitting in the pews here, you you can reject this invitation by not taking the, the sermons that you hear week to week to heart. If you don't apply the Word of God, it's like rejecting the invitation. It's in one ear and out the other, just like it was for these Jews. So prepare yourself for the wedding. Do so by understanding the host, accepting the invite, and thirdly, by wearing the clothes. Here in verse 11 is where we pick up. You, if you've been invited to a wedding before, you get a card in the mail, or there might be a, a, a website that you go to that talks about the kind of wedding attire that you are to wear. It could be fancy. It could be formal. You could have some in between where it's fancy on top, casual below. Maybe maybe that's you. But it tells you what you're supposed to wear. And when you get that, 
you're expected to wear the kinds of clothing that you were instructed to wear. And then it's up to you to get the necessary clothes so that when you show up, you are clothed in the right attire. This wedding that we have in this parable is a royal wedding, it's a, which meant it would have had a royal dress code. But unlike in today's weddings, in the days of Palestine, the, the host would be the one that would provide you the proper clothes to wear. Completely different than what we do in our society. So he's the one that sets the threshold, and then the threshold is met by the host. The host provides the attire, and it's kind of like when you go into those fancy restaurants, and maybe the guy doesn't show up with a blazer, so the, the, the hosts give you a blazer. Or it's the masks, like they give the masks when you walk into those restaurants, if you know what I'm talking about. The, the host would have provided what was needed. So here the, it's, there's a buzz, it's a full of excitement. They're looking forward to, to seeing the groom and the splendors of the way, and they're looking forward to tasting the bounty of what it, all the food and the succulent delicacies. They're giddy. The king walks in, in verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the, to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. The king notices the one guy isn't wearing the right clothes. Mind you, the clothes that were given to him. He didn't have to buy them. It's like showing up to a wedding and there's supposed to be a coordinated effort from the grooms. The grooms are all supposed to wear a certain color. And it's not supposed to clash with a bunch of other th- stuff going on. I don't understand it. My brain doesn't work that way. Somehow it's not supposed to clash with the flowers and some of the, I don't know, background music. But it's like looking and seeing that they're, it, he's supposed to, the groomsmen are supposed to wear a black suit, and instead one shows up with a bright pink one. That's what we're talking about here. This guy is sticking out like a sore thumb. He'd been handed the clothes, and he simply had to put it on, walk in, and everything would have been fine. But instead, he shows up with the wrong attire, with the wrong clothes. And the king sees it. And if we take a longer picture of this too, there's a further application that can be given when Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. It means you can't show up through any other means other than Christ. You can't show up through Muhammad. You can't show up through Buddha or Hinduism or any other religion. It has to be Christ. These are the only clothes that can get you into heaven, into this beautiful wedding feast. But he doesn't have them, even though he had full opportunity to wear them before he went in. It's as if he got the invite, looked at his clothes, had some crumbs on it, 
went like this and said, oh, I think this is, uh, this is good. Yeah, I think I'm going to walk in this way. No, what are you doing? You can't show up however you want, especially not to the royal wedding banquet. And especially not after you've been given the specific instructions of what to wear and been, been given the clothes for which you are supposed to wear. You can't just sneak in here and think you can get away with that. And so many people on Judgment Day are going to think that. They're going to think, I can sneak into heaven through Muhammad. I can sneak into heaven through Hinduism. I can sneak into heaven through Roman Catholicism, my own good works. You cannot. And what does the man do when he's confronted? First, the king says, friend, how did you get in here? How did you get in here with these clothes? The man was speechless. Zephaniah 1, be silent in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has invited his guests, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such as are clothed in foreign apparel. The, the, the Jews would have thought back to the Old Testament, they were not to mix with the people, they were not to, to live the way they lived. They were not to, to dress the way that they were supposed to dress. Wearing foreign attire meant that you were no longer part of Israel. Speechless. He had nothing to say. And so too will all on Judgment Day. God will confront and anyone not clothed in the righteousness of Christ will have nothing to say in their defense. He's right. I knew it, but I suppressed the truth because I had better things to do. No excuses. And this is just so sad. Look at what the king does in verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a picture of hell. Weeping this psychological, mental, emotional trauma. Pain beyond our wildest imaginations. This gnashing of teeth, God's hand of goodness completely removed. And the wicked given up to the wickedness and the depravity of their hearts. Their bodies being retrofitted for the eternal agony that they will experience. Horrifying. Maybe some in the local church here, some perhaps here specifically, 
have heard the invitation week after week after week, but are living a life of continuous, unrepentant sin. This man could not sneak in, nor can anyone. Jeremiah 23, 24, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? declares the Lord. And, and then, Do I not fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. Amos 9, Not one will get away. No one will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves in the top of Mount Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me at the bottoms of the sea, there I will command the sea serpents to bite them. You and I need to examine our hearts. There will be so many on the day of judgment who will not just be speechless, but then will speak out against the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name do we not cast out demons? And God will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Expecting to hear something from God. It's not what you end up hearing. The only reason you are worthy to stand before the Lamb of God, the only single reason is if you are clothed in the righteousness of the Lamb who is slain. And you cannot enjoy the blessings of the union with Christ without becoming like Him. Conforming to Him in every way, Hands, heart, and head. You cannot accept the invitation that this host gives you on your terms. You need to change. I need to change. Verse 14 is how Jesus concludes. Jesus ends the parable by saying, So many are called, but few are chosen. Few give God the glory that He is due. There are many that just show up for the food, but they simply do not care about the King. Most will seek their own glory. Sometimes, perhaps you seek your own glory too. I know I have. Remember, these are individuals who wanted not to come. Where is your heart? You and I are just like the Jews. You and I are not worthy to stand before the Lamb of God on our own. 
but God chooses some. John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. God calls and chooses some because he is so gracious. The Father wants some, wants people to enjoy his very Son. And all the things that we tend to put our efforts to, all the things that we tend to focus our minds on are not this beautiful wedding feast that we are supposed to be preparing our hearts for. Distracted by our work, and all of these things a hundred years from now, what good was it to be concerned with them to the degree and extent that we sometimes are? But those who accept the invitation, those who are chosen and called, the very children of God will feast at this wedding. In Revelation 21, just hear some of this. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Look at Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. This is the invitation to come into this glorious kingdom, to come into this glorious feast with this glorious king, the Father preparing people to behold his beauty and his glory. But if not... Just like at the end of this parable in Matthew, the man was cast out. Here we see in verse 15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is a call to come to forsake the old way. To prepare yourself for the wedding. Because God is preparing his bride. And one day the wedding day will be here. And if you want to enjoy the wedding feast, prepare yourself for the wedding. By understanding the host, accepting the invite, and wearing the clothes. Lord, we are so grateful. There are so many things in this passage, so many so many allusions to things in in the past, so many allusions to things in the future. 
in this wedding that we can't even begin to comprehend with our mind is what we are being invited to. And the most amazing thing is that the son is there, the bridegroom, standing there in his beauty. Oh, Lord, may we be ready for that day. Prepare us for the wedding with your son. Help us to forsake the old ways, to cast off sexual morality and idolatry and all forms of wickedness and evil, to accept the invite on your terms because they are good. Lord, may we do this. And if there are any in this room who have not accepted that glorious invite, who are not prepared for this wedding, work in their heart. You know who they are. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.